true. Father in heaven, what a privilege to be here, to be gathered here today. What a privilege to be in your presence, Father. I, I cannot imagine a single one of us having not already experienced your presence here. I cannot imagine that. Every one of us here, no surprise to you, every one of us here, whether we know it or not, by your prompting, by your leading, we're here not by accident today for you to meet us. And not so we could just be together, which is, which is special and wonderful, but so you could meet us. I pray especially, Father, for those that are in the storm now and pray that they might especially be met by you and be encouraged by you and be strengthened by you, Father. But I pray for those of us that might feel like we're strong now and and pray that even in our seeming strength that we might realize there might be some deep, deep reality that hits us, yet we need you just as deeply and desperately as well. And thank you, God, you always are willing to meet us. May May we hear from you now in Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. I am so glad to have you guys here. So, so glad. I looked at it first service and I saw all these colors. There was bright orange and there was some kind of pale blue and everything. And I thought it was my eyes and I realized it's Super Bowl Sunday. And uh, it's, if it were the Texans, it'd be one color, right? But I may never witness that in my lifetime. When it happens, make this place one color. But today it's two colors and, and I'm good with that. I'm, but I'm, I'm glad that you're here. We're, we are a little ways into a series that is titled, Where is God Today? And we know it's a question that all of us, I'm pretty sure of this, all of us have asked. In fact, some of you are maybe even asking that in this season of life, where is God today? And there are these two anchor truths that we're going to bank, we have been banking all this on, and you would do well to even to memorize these two short passages. One is Colossians 1.15, Colossians 1.15, that says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. You see Jesus, and you're seeing God the Father. He's the visible image of God the Father. The second passage is Hebrews 13, 8, that says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. He never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so we're basing all of our, all this study on the Gospel of John, chapters 10 through 21, because based upon those truths we know, if we look at Jesus' life, we'll see God. If we look at what Jesus was doing 2,000 years ago, because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever, we will know what he's doing today. And so that's where we're headed with this series. We're in John 13 today. And so if you picked up a Bible coming in, it's on page 822, John 13. I want to read the first five verses, and then we'll try to understand what that means and the implications for our lives. So John 13, beginning verse 1. It says, before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, and that he had come from God and would return to God. So... He got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel he had around him. It begins by saying that that this was um, on the verge of Passover, 
and Jesus is aware that these are his final hours. He has just less than 24 hours before the crucifixion, and he knows very, very well that the thing that, that not only will the disciples pay so much attention to, but even the world as it unfolds for 2,000 years, the world will look at, at what he did in those final hours. He knew they were the final hours. He would do something very strategic in those hours. And so this is what he does. This is the setting. They're about to have a meal together. They're about to be at a table, but they didn't have tables as we have them. They didn't even have chairs in that time. And so what they would do is they would have a table about, about this high off the floor they wouldn't have chairs at all. They would recline kind of on their side, prop themselves on an elbow, and then eat. And that meant at this level that every single nose was close to everyone else's feet, okay, not far from their feet. Culture is this. There are, there are no paved roads like we have now. They would wear sandals daily, and by the end of every single day, their feet would be caked in sweat and dirt, and they would stink. And so if you're going to have your best meal, then you made sure that all the feet were washed, and yours included. And, and the idea of washing feet was viewed in such low esteem that some of the Jewish writers of that era said that, that even the Jewish slaves were above that task. They were saying the only ones that should ever be required to do that task are the pagan slaves, the pagan slaves. And so the disciples of Jesus realized that they're not pagans, they're Jews, and they realize they've never been slaves, and they're not about to wash someone's feet. And so they're about to have a stinky meal. And so it says that this is, this is stunning. The God, the Son, the one who created everything then, takes this basin and towel and begins to wash their feet. And we cannot begin to grasp how that would turn their perspective of the world upside down. The best I can do is to give you an analogy, and it's a stretch, I realize, but but suppose that, that Marie and I went with you and your house to London for a vacation. And us going to London, that would be a stretch. But suppose we did that. Suppose we're in London and we lose our way and we find ourselves in the, in the deepest, deepest slums of London. We're looking at Google Maps. We're trying to find our way out of the deepest slums. And to our surprise, turning down our block is this very, very important looking entourage of vehicles. We stand there surprised. We're in the deepest slums. The vehicles stop, and out of the center vehicle, this, this elderly woman steps out, and unmistakably, it is Queen Elizabeth. And we're thinking, what is she doing in the depths of the slums? So we watch, and to our shock, she walks to some homeless, and she stoops in the gutter, and she washes their feet. Now, no matter what else we see in our vacation in London, what do you think we would remember most? In Queen Elizabeth in the slums, washing the dirty, stinky feet of the homeless in those slums? That was the impact it had that night when Jesus did that, except infinitely more so. This is the God, the God the Son, who created everything with God the Father. This is his creation, and he's doing this, and he's doing it not to these stellar individuals that are around him, John is careful to point out, specific to point out, that Judas Iscariot, the one who is about to betray Jesus, is in the crowd, and Jesus already knows that. This is the one that will start the domino effect that will take him to the cross to give his life away. And in the crowd is Simon Peter, and it's not pointed out here, but we know from other passages that Simon will deny within hours three times even knowing Jesus. And it's not mentioned here, but in the Gospel of Luke, in chapter twenty-two, twenty-four, 24, it says in this very setting, 
it says the 12 disciples were arguing about who was the greatest. It's not this stellar group. It's not like they're the best of humanity. He's going to wash their feet. One could argue in Judas, maybe the worst of humanity, and he's going to stoop and wash their feet. And then very importantly, in John 13, 3 through 5, it says, and I'll read this again for you. We just read it. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, that he had come from God and would return to God. So, okay, because of these things, because of what he knew, so he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, poured water into a basin, and then he began to wash the disciples' feet. Okay? It, Jesus did this because he knew who he was. He knew he was the beloved son of God. He knew he was the king of the universe. Okay? He knew those things. He didn't then wash their feet in hopes that God the Father would love him more. He was already loved infinitely by God the Father. He didn't wash their feet hoping they would love him. It didn't matter whether they would or not. He didn't wash their feet hoping to make himself worthy. He was infinitely worthy. It's because he knew who he was. The beloved son of the most high God. King of the universe out of that strength, out of that security. He stooped down and he washed their feet. And so I would ask, where was God 2,000 years ago? And I would say 2,000 years ago, we see the very hands of God washing the filth off the disciples' feet. And it's foreshadowing what would happen in a few hours on the cross where the Son of God would be washing the very filth off their souls. That's where God was 2,000 years ago. He's meeting their, their deepest needs. So, if that's where God was 2,000 years ago, where is God today? And the answer is going to be God today is washing feet very, very tangibly. He's meeting needs more tangibly than you might know. And there's some basis I want to build upon this before we get there to look at what it looks like. Uh, some important verses, Colossians 1.27, Paul is writing to people who have given their life to Christ and begun to follow Christ. And to them, he says this. He says, this is the secret. Christ lives in you. Here's the secret. Christ lives in you. And he's saying in some very real but very mysterious way that, that Jesus Christ isn't just close. He's actually taking up residence inside you. And I'm not sure exactly how that works, but you are still you, although you're a brand new person now, you're still you, and you still have your personality, and you still make your decisions. But he's saying that Jesus is so intimately close to you, the best description God has is he now lives in you. He lives in you. And then Paul would write in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7, he would say to Christ's followers again, we now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. See, this, this light shining in our hearts, and in the context of the passage, he's referring to God gave us this vision to see the truth, is that we look at the, faith of Jesus, the face of Jesus, and we see God. That's the light he's talking about in the context. We, we, we now see, when we see the face of Jesus, we're looking into the very face of God. But then he says, we are these fragile clay jars. In other words, we are so easily broken. We are these, in essence, we are these broken vessels and I take Colossians 1.27 that says, Christ lives in you. And if you're a follower of Jesus, then though you are a broken vessel, Jesus Christ lives inside of you. 
He lives inside of you. In Colossians 2.10, okay, this is your world. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is your world. Jesus lives inside of you, though you're a broken vessel. Colossians 2.10 says, because you're a follower of him, you're complete because of your union with Christ. You're complete because of your union with Christ. You don't need to do anything else to be made right with God. You don't need anything else. You don't need more love of God. You don't need more forgiveness. You don't need anything else. You're made complete. This is who you really are. You're made complete because you have this union with Jesus. And so John 13 again, verses 12 to 14, because that's true about you as a Christ follower, if you're a Christ follower. It says, after washing their feet, Jesus put on his robe again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, now you ought to wash each other's feet. And putting all this together, putting all this together, this message is saying that if you're a follower of Jesus, then Jesus lives in you, though you're this broken vessel. And, and you are complete and out of this strength and security of who you are. You don't need to be made more worthy. Jesus has made you fully worthy. You don't need that. You don't need to try to somehow woo more love of God. You have all of God's love. And out of that strength, he's saying, now, now, let me pour myself through you. And you are someone's feet. And you meet a need. Let me pour myself through you. So I, this has all been rolling in my head for some period of time right now. And a few weeks back, I met a couple named Tony and Amanda Sumney. And the last two weeks, I've gotten to spend a lot of time with them. And I cannot tell you how much I have come to love them and enjoy being with them. And, and they have this story about foot washing that I thought you have to hear. And they have been so kind and so agreeable to join us today. So would you welcome them? They've not been on stage ever before. Give them an FCC welcome, okay? Tony, man, I am so, so glad to have you here. Thank you for having us. Yeah, Amanda, so glad to have you. Thank hey, you. I want to tell you, when we were doing um, sound check earlier, I was getting directions about how I would get up on stage from there. And they said, well, you'll have to walk around this way and take the small steps around. And I said, how old do you think I am? And I, I told Tony, I'm going to try this one, but I may, you may have to give me your chair before I'm done. But I made it twice. I made it twice. Say. <laughs> so, I've gotten to know you guys, but many of these folks don't know you. Can you, in 60 seconds, give us this snapshot of, of who you are to start with? Well, I was born in Galveston, UTMB. I was raised in Santa Fe. I've done construction most of my life, building homes. I think the most enjoyable job I did was for home extreme makeovers. I did all the windows, doors, and siding on the house they did over here. That was the, the Kima house. In fact, Marie and I went out to actually see it. It was so stunning. And while some here may not have seen it live, but many here saw it on Extreme Home Makeovers. It's this stunning house, and I was blown away when I learned that you'd built a big part of that. How, how very cool that you did that. It's a beautiful Yeah. Home. Amanda, how about you? I was born and raised in Algoa, Texas, outside of Santa Fe. I've worked in the medical field for many years. Uh, me and Tony met 10 years ago, and... He ran for a while. <laughs> Should have been. Got a little cold feet. <laughs> Eventually we got married. Yeah, when you said cold feet, there are a bunch of guys in this room that can relate. Some guys in this room got elbows. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Some that haven't proposed got real elbows, I bet, as well. Then. But, so 
it ends up in, in marriage, which I am so thankful that that's, that's what's happened. Three and a half years ago, you had an accident, Tony, that would change your lives forever. Tell us about that. I fell off a 20-foot ladder. When I fell, I broke my right ankle, nearly severed it off, uh, broke my back, and had major spinal cord damage. So the ambulance shows up that day and rushes you to the hospital. What does that look like, Amanda? Uh, we spent three to four months in the hospital. Tony was on life support for a while. Very touch and go. Uh, he had multiple surgeries on his back and feet. Still more surgeries to come. Even three and a half years in, probably yes. more surgeries will have to be done as well. Yes. I know you had just taken a brand new job. You had just taken it. And you had the unsigned insurance form sitting on the desk when the accident happened. What was the financial impact upon you and your family, Tony? It was devastating. We lost everything. Our house, car, storage buildings. We basically left the hospital with the clothes on our back, us and the kids. Literally, just the clothes on your backs when you did, yeah. This is the financial impact, but describe the emotional impact, Amanda, that you saw this had upon Tony. The emotional impact on both of us were, uh, it was a lot. He major depression, uh, very suicidal. Mm -hmm. uh, our faith was truly being tested. Mm -hmm. I can imagine to a degree the impact because I've gotten to know you the last two weeks and, and, and Tony's a, uh, a driven, get it done doer who could do anything. Uh, breadwinner, any challenge could take. And I've even seen that in us shaping an interview you're just a get-or-done guy. And then to be put in a position where you can't do that, I can only imagine the, the emotional impact that that would have. So this is three and a half years of this unfolding. This last Halloween, a tornado rips through your neighborhood. What did you see that morning, Tony? Well, about 5.40 in the morning, our phone alarm went off and said, tornado warning. I ignored it like most people do. Yeah. Uh, after the third one, I decided to probably check it out. So went outside to look around and when I did the wind was just acting real funny so I yelled at the wife to get the kids and get in the shower and I turned around and closed the front door and no sooner I did the carport from down the street came barreling at me luckily the car was in a way so the car got hit with the and the wind from that blew me out of my chair and blew me across the porch as I was struggling to get up from it I could see across the street the house across the street was levitating in air about five feet and eventually the wind just picked it up and turned it upside down mm -hmm. uh, and then just carried off to the neighborhood, tearing roofs off. And mm -hmm. This all happened so fast. You actually called 911, Amanda. And they came out. Uh, responders came over to help Tony. He told them no. Go help the ones, you mm -hmm. know, buried in the rubble. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the in fact. Homes were damaged, a uh, few injuries, luckily no mm -hmm. deaths. Yes. Yes, I was, I was touched when you were describing that to me, that Tony had broken ribs, and, and they, they run to him, they see him, but you sent them to the, the rubble that had some people beneath the rubble someplace to, to help them and save them. And again, as you said, thank God no, no one died. Many injuries, much, much Lots home damage. damage occurred. That night, it, it would turn out that you guys would be on the, on the news multiple times from interviews that night. Yes. And the next day... A total stranger shows up on your porch out of that. That so, man's name was Kim Sadbury. Hmm. When he showed up, he showed up with, and said God had sent him. 
He showed up with a carload of food and said it wasn't from him, it was from God. And through that, our AC had broken. He helped us fix it, got us a new one, helped us pay some bills and food, got us involved with the church, which has helped us out a lot, got us involved with contractors, which has replaced the front door in our house and helped us do, is still helping us do a lot of construction. I still don't know the people's names that are helping. They just tell me to thank God. It's all from him. Yeah, yeah. Let me make sure that we don't blow past too fast what happened because it, it happened in wave after wave. He brings this car full of food the first time. A few days pass, and your AC then breaks, and so he shows up with an AC, and that gets replaced. And then it becomes clear you already had medical bills still lasting, but now there are other bills as well. And so he's solicited help from the church, and he shows up with money to pay bills. And then more days pass, and there's more food, and then more days pass, there's a contractor repairing damage, and now still working to repair damage. And, and his consistent message again and again to you is what? Don't thank me. Thank God. Yeah, don't thank me. Thank God. And so all that's happening through November and through December, and then Christmas Day unfolds. What happens, Amanda? Uh, our two-week-old grandson got real sick and had to be taken to the ER, and we didn't know what was going on. So we called Kim and asked for prayer, and he pulled over on the side of the road. He was actually—they take a trip every year, an annual trip, to go out of town and eat barbecue, and he pulled over on the side of the road to pray for us. Well, then him and his wife decided to turn around and come back to get a prayer circle going and not only pray— for us, but be with us. Yeah. yeah. They, they had this ritual, didn't they? Every Christmas day, they drive off, have barbecue, spend the night someplace, yes. and yes. they abandoned it yes. just to come back to, to not just pray for you, but to be with to you. To be with us. In it as well. Yes. The wave after wave after wave, what effect has this had upon you, Tony? The kindness and love that Kim has showed me. I now know that God loves me. I know he has been in my life and has intervened many times. I know that he has blessed my life in more ways than I could say. He may not give me everything I want, but he gives me everything I need. Three weeks ago, I decided to give my life to Jesus. I've asked him to forgive me for everything I've done. Yeah. Yeah. Three, three weeks ago, Sunday morning, just like this, out of the love of God that you saw in yes. Kim and others and all, you said, I'm going to follow that God. Here's That's my right. life, Jesus. And, and as those of us that know Jesus know, in that moment, every sin forgiven, brand new life launched, change of eternal address, all that began. All that began then. It's only been three weeks, but I ask you before this morning, Amanda, have you seen any changes in Tony? I've seen a lot of changes by the grace of God. Uh, he's not as angry as he was. He's a joy. Um, he carries the essence and grace about him. Mm-hmm. More patient, more loving, kind, and gentle. Yes. And he wants everybody to feel Jesus the way that he has and yeah. find him the way yeah. that he has. When you were telling me around the table the other day about you were saying now Tony wants everyone to experience the love of God as he has. Yes. And, and I had to laugh because you said, uh, 
he wants it so badly for people. He, it's so frustrating when they don't get it. <laughs> it's like, come on, you, you got to know this. Yeah, know he that thinks this is if true. he can get it, anybody can get yeah, it. Yeah, how do you live without it is the perspective that you now have. The story up to this point of the interview has been all about the love of God poured through broken vessels, and you experience the love of God through broken vessels. But, but now the reality is the love of God's being poured through you, the two of you, yes. to others as well. Yes. Uh, we're, we're taking food over to the neighbors and helping them out. And when they thank us, don't thank us. This is from God. This is not from us. Yeah. yeah. They even, a couple of our neighbors come to church with us a couple Sundays. And uh, it's, it's just spilling over into the whole neighborhood. And the funny part about it is my 20-year-old daughter was sitting on the front porch the other day and she says mom it's such a beautiful day it's like why why is it such a what makes it such a beautiful day Haley and she said because we're able to help others man I coming from her (laughs) this struck me she's 20 years old and what defines a beautiful day for her is if she can help somebody else and I think of the ripple of of Kim Sadbury who by the way is a guy playing bass guitar today God's doing through Kim Sadbury and others and others, and now love poured through you guys as well. Now you have this 20-year-old who's thinking, it's a good day if I can, this love of God poured through me, help somebody else as well. Uh, Words can't express how blessed I feel now to know you guys. And I would think the church could probably say the same thing. Could we thank them for telling your story today? God today washing feet, God today meeting needs. In that Corinthians passage where Paul's talking about us and and he's saying the reality is we're just broken vessels. There's not a whole lot we could do on our own. And he talks about, though, we have this treasure of Jesus inside of us. And so there's great power when we let the love of Christ flow through us. And then a few verses down in chapter 4, verse 15, he said, Then as God's grace reaches more and more people, there'll be great thanksgiving, and God will receive more and more glory. There's another step of the story in Tony and Amanda's neighborhood. The, uh, The storm was Halloween, and there's extensive damage. And the city had told the entire neighborhood, they said last weekend, this a weekend ago, they said it, it's, the, it's the deadline to have the neighborhood cleaned up. And if it's not cleaned up by then, then anyone's lot who isn't cleaned up, then you'll have to begin to pay a fine. I understand that. No one would argue with that, but, but that was the deadline. And so uh, last Saturday, there were 130 students and adults from here that went to that neighborhood. And I wish I had a picture of the entire 130 together, but they went in wave after wave after wave. And there's a video that I'm going to give you a chance to look at. And this is what you'll see. You'll see uh, uh, waves of people that are actually, they are, they're cleaning up the neighborhood. And then you'll see a wave of people that have this open outdoor worship service, worshiping God for the whole neighborhood. And then you'll see this wave that's having this celebration uh, fixing some oars, just to have fellowship with the neighborhood. 
And, and each one, each one, the hands and feet of Jesus for Jesus to wash feet and meet needs. So take a look at this. Oh, 
this is important. Most of the 130 went there knowing Jesus, having yielded their life to him. Most of them went there knowing that, that they are fully loved by God, knowing that they are complete in their union with Jesus Christ. And they didn't go there hoping by going God would love them more. And they didn't go there hoping the neighborhood would love them. They just went there to love the neighborhood. They didn't go there hoping to earn any kind of merit. They just went in this fullness. Because I follow Jesus, I I already have in him everything I will ever need to be. So as a broken vessel, would you just pour your love through me? Uh, I'll tell you a brief story of the rainbow that you saw the picture taken of the rainbow actually wasn't taken last weekend. It was taken the day after Halloween when Kim Sadbury was trying to find the place. He called the news station to find out where this uh, couple lived, and the news station wouldn't give him a name or an address or anything at all. And so Kim knew God had called him to find them, so he launches off in his truck to find them. And there's this rainbow that is in the sky, and he knows it's so he says, well, I think I'll just follow the rainbow. So he follows the rainbow, and all of a sudden, there's a, he travels away. So there's a double rainbow, and so he turns at the double rainbow, and, and he drives up. It said, he said it looked as though the rainbow was sitting on their house. He dr- drives right to the house, and only God would do such as that. And then the day that last Saturday when all this happened, once again, there was the same double rainbow. This is God doing God is washing feet. God is meeting needs. And how cool he would do it through us as broken vessels. Where is God today? He's meeting needs today. I was at a McDonald's working yesterday morning. It was a different one than I would usually work at on a Saturday morning. I had a tight schedule to go by. I had a full day of commitments, including a bunch of training yesterday yesterday. And I ended up staying half an hour longer than I'd intended to. So I was emptying my tray, and and I turned to grab my backpack. And two women had just come in and just sat down at the table right next to me. I had my back to them, and I hear one of them say, you're my pastor. And I turned around and greeted them and learned their names. And and so I said, do you come here often? And they said, no, we're, we're here because yesterday our mother died. And we're here to make plans for how to honor her life. And I had this privilege of having some moments to share in their grief with them and to reflect upon their mother as a follower of Jesus, to reflect upon she's in heaven now, and to live in this tension with them of this grief, but yet this celebration of where she is. And I got this privilege of getting to pray with them. And when I was done praying, the one who attends here as church, this is her church, said something to the effect, she said, so blessed that God would orchestrate this, that God would meet us here. Not that that I would, but they saw that God orchestrated. I wasn't even supposed to be there. How, How blessed that God would meet us here this morning of all mornings to meet our needs this morning. I walked out of the McDonald's feeling the grief, and I walked out into this stunning beautiful day and I felt this tension of I walked out of a place that was filled with grief and I walked out of this day that almost called for celebration and and I thought about what they were walking through and, and it's that dual world they're walking through the grief of death but the celebration of resurrection 
And in the midst of that, God said something to me. I've only heard him say three or four times. I heard him say, I want you to get in your car and turn on the radio because you need to hear the song, Good, Good Father. And I've been down this road long enough. I knew that the song would be on the radio. And indeed it was. I started turning the radio, and that's the song. And God had prompted Mark Hale weeks ago for us to end the service with Good, Good Father. And instead of just ending it, this is going to become part of the message. And as the song begins to unfold in just a few brief moments, I want to give you some questions. And I want you to hear these questions and grab one that applies to you right now. The first question is this, because in the song, the song I would have you then ponder that question as the song unfolds. You can ponder it as you are seated. You can ponder it standing. You can ponder it as you sing or as you're silent. But the first question might be this for you. Do you know God is a good, good father? Do you know that? Second question is, do you know you're loved by him? Do you know you're loved by him? Third question is, have you surrendered your life to Jesus, asking him to forgive you and lead you, as Tony did three Sundays ago at a time just like this? Have you come to a point of saying, I'm surrendering my life. I I need you to forgive me and lead me. Here's my life. And then the fourth and final question is, is God's love flowing freely through you so that others might feel it. If you're a follower of Jesus, is his love flowing freely through you so that others might feel that love? Father in heaven, I pray we've each grabbed a question and we sit with that question with you or we stand with that question with you. We're in silence with you or we're in worship singing with you. But I pray you would deeply touch our hearts right where we are. I pray this with high expectations. In Jesus' name, amen.